0: Church, we are in, like Rachel said, week two of a Christmas series called The Gifts of Christmas. And specifically, the gifts that we're talking about are the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. Not when he was a baby, you're learning, but when he was a toddler. The wise men brought him gifts. How many wise men were there? Some some of you are getting it. We don't know. There were three gifts. We know that. But the wise men, the Bible never says how many there were. We... Scholars believe there were probably more than three, probably a caravan, because of how far they traveled and what would have been going down during that time. So probably not just three, but there were three gifts. And the the whole premise of this series is set up in Matthew 2, verses 10 and 11. Let me read it to you. When they saw the star, the wise men, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened treasure chests and gave him gifts. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Last week, if you were with us, you heard us talk about myrrh. And, and the spice that it was and the significance that it had. And, and the symbolism that it that it meant. And what it meant was... Because myrrh was used for burials and preparing bodies, it symbolized Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. Now this week, as we move backwards, we're going to look at frankincense. Say frankincense. Frankincense. Big word. This is also a spice. And it had lots of benefits. Lots of benefits. It was also a fragrance that that smelled beautiful, like myrrh. In fact, my plan was that when you walked in here, you'd have already been smelling it. Because there's supposed to be an incense burner right here with incense in it, frankincense. And it should be burning right now. But Amazon screwed up. And their two-day shipping is a lie. I ordered it four days ago. So right after the service, I have to write Jeff Bezos a scathing email. But that's later. So anyway, ruined my sermon illustration. But just picture it in your mind. The the incense burning up. And so frankincense was used, the word is used like at least 23 times in the word of God. Many times in the book of Leviticus, that is a, a book of law, the third book of the Bible, and the word Leviticus literally means, wrote it down, belonging to the Levites. Levites were priests in the Old Testament. So, and what the priests would do is they would light frankincense in the incense burner that isn't here, but if it was, they would light it, and they would do this, and the smoke would rise up out of the incense burner, and it would symbolize The prayers of the people going up to God. So frankincense, here's the meaning if you're ready. Say, I'm ready. Frankincense symbolizes Jesus as our great high priest. Now, if you didn't grow up Catholic like I did, the priesthood might be unfamiliar to you. So, um, you know what? Before I get into that, speaking of unfamiliar, I want to touch on something. Because the gifts... Are, are, if you think about the gifts that the, the, the wise men gave to Jesus, they were, they were strange gifts, were they not? I mean, Jesus is a toddler. You think he cares about myrrh, especially when it has to do with death? No, he don't care. Frankincense? So it made me start to think about unfamiliar gifts or strange gifts. So just in kind of the spirit of the message, I looked up some unfamiliar or weird gifts for Christmas. And some of you may have gotten these gifts, or maybe you're thinking about giving these gifts. If you are, you're in the weird category, which at Meadows Church, that isn't anything weird. I mean, that's normal. So, but he, but one of the gifts that popped up, the first gift that popped up, and I'll show you a picture. It was called beard amends, like ornaments that you put in a beard. So, ladies, if you got that man with the big burly beard, I see one right there, Benji. I mean, you could, Bethany, you could get him these. They, I mean, you could, they look, they don't even look safe, but you could Get beardaments for your man. To, to, you know, this is just an idea. You don't have to do it. So that's one unusual or maybe unfamiliar uh, gift. The second, before I show the second, don't show it yet. How many people, like we live in the Midwest. How many people by show of hands, you like ranch dressing. uh, yeah we all do right like I've gotten to the point where I put ranch on my fries more than I put ketchup on my fries so I mean we won't put it on anything right we're midwesterners well if that's if you're really liking ranch dressing this might be a gift that you could be given by somebody else this is a a huge as you see inflatable ranch dressing that you could put right in your yard it's like a snowman or a Santa Claus but that's a real thing and uh, you'd be really weird if you did that but that's just an idea for the ranch lovers, the third one, I got four. The third one, this unusual or weird gift is for all you Star Wars geeks out there, right? Oh yeah, you like that? You, you want that tree topper, that star on top of the tree? Well, what about a death star on top of the tree? I mean, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Sarah, you're somewhere in here like, oh wow, Bethany, get me that. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. So, last but not least, this is your pastor's favorite. And if you've seen um, A Christmas Vacation, you'll appreciate it. But the last one is Aunt Bethany's electrocuted cat rug with, that lights up. Isn't that beautiful? I heard that when you plug that in, it actually smells like fried cat. I mean, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I want to find out, Jody. So that's my Santa Claus wish. So those are just unusual gifts that I want to cover because frankincense, it's unusual. Myrrh, it's unusual. Gold, I kind of get gold's worth something, but the others I don't get. But, but frankincense, back to the message, it, it, it symbolizes the high priest. And again, I grew up Catholic, so I, I, I knew a little bit about the priesthood. I was an altar boy. I would serve the priest, help him, do all kinds of stuff. And there were things I didn't get, but I do remember him taking the incense burner at certain occasions, and he would do this, and you kind of hear it clang against the chain, and he'd do that kind of thing, and he would, a lot of times, the priest, that, that, the priest that I see, they'll sometimes sing when they do that, and it's never good, it, it I mean, what the words are good, because they're scripture, but, but I've never met a priest that can carry a tune, you guys are just blessed, you have a pastor that can preach and sing, okay, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a joke, but anyway, so, whatever, so, But the priest, it was a big deal. So let me give you two things that the priest would do. Like in the Old Testament, when the priesthood was really a thing, and and there were the Israelites. Here's two things that the priest, two main things the priest would do. They would make sacrifices on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of sins. And they would pray on behalf of the people. So, in other words, think about think about the priest like this. The priest is kind of the go-between, right? There's you, and then there's the priest, and then there's God. And the priest would kind of do things on your behalf to God, like like sacrifices and prayer, things like that. I wanna I wanna park on the sacrifice piece for a bit because the sacrifices it's so important that we catch this. It's the whole meaning of frankincense. It's the whole meaning behind this. Um, why were there sacrifices for our sin? Well, I mean, let's just start with sin. Sin started way back in a garden. A perfect place. It was a perfect place with a perfect God, with two perfect people, Adam and Eve. Everything was right. I always say everything was so good. They had no needs and no kids and no cares and no clothes. And they screwed it up. So they messed it up. They sinned. And since that day, thousands of years ago, there have been two opposing forces. Still happening today. One opposing force is the holiness of God. The other opposing force is the the sinfulness of you and I, of mankind. So, And these forces just go at each other. And and I think sometimes, and I mentioned this last week, that many times in our society today, we downplay the, the seriousness of sin. And we don't, under, we don't really explain or understand how it separates us. Like, we, 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 we'll talk about things like the elf on the shelf, right? And tell our kids, well, the elf on the shelf is watching. And if you do the elf on the shelf thing, I ain't judging you. We, we did it too. T- we tell the kids, or I tell the kids. I don't know what, Jody, I don't know what you told them, but here's what I tell my kids. Listen, the elf on the shelf, he is watching. And when you disobey, you need to know something. The elf on the shelf, he will come alive. He will find you. And he will kill you. So I mean, so if you guys need a family counselor, we have a great one. We're still going to him. So it's awesome. So uh, we—you shouldn't say that to your kids. But but we—the seriousness of sin. So so I'll give you one of the main points from last week: to appreciate the gift from God, say gift, the gifts of Christmas. To appreciate the gift from God, we truly have to understand the seriousness of sin. And sin is God is holy. God is so holy, he can have nothing to do with sin. And what's even more crazy, and this will blow you away, God expects us to be holy, like he's holy. Uh, Peter, you know, one of the right-hand men of Jesus, in First Peter, he said this, and in 1 Peter 1.16, scriptures say, and now Peter's quoting Leviticus, and he says, you must be holy because I am holy. Now, it, If your best friend could describe one word that would describe you, okay, would it be holy? Seriously, I'm just saying. I mean, I wore my holy pants today, but that's on me. That might be about it some days. Is holy how we would be described? Is holy how you would be described? Here's what holy means, just to kind of help you understand. Holy simply means set apart. It It means different. See, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they were supposed to be set apart. There were all kinds of nations. It wasn't just the Israelites. That's what we're reading about in the Word of God. But there were other nations. And God said, I've set you apart to be an example. To show the other nations how to live. Show them how not to sin. Show them how to be holy. So he sets the Israelites apart, but the Israelites, they didn't want to be set apart. They wanted to fit in. And that was a mistake. Like, one example, they said, we want a king that nation has a king, that nation has a king, they have a president, but we want a king. And God's like, that was never the plan. They were never supposed to have a king. Did you know that? God was to be their king. But they were so bent on fitting in. But God was so adamant, he wanted them to stand out. And they didn't get it. So they, so, so, hence they sinned. They messed up like you and I mess up. And hence the priest having to make sacrifices. So We'll get a little theological today, but I promise you, you'll get this, and, and it, it'll be, you'll be better for it. Because the more we understand uh, the problem, the better we can appreciate and, and embrace a solution. So, in the Old Testament, when, when people would sin, the priest would, would make sacrifices. Remember what we said on their behalf. And this would happen on one day of the year. It was called the Day of Atonement. Um, in the Hebrew, that would be called Yom Kippur. So, Yam meaning day, kapur, meaning atonement. And on this day, the priest would go into the temple, but not just the temple. He'd go, like, into the inner, inner room. The, the, they call it the holy of holies, if you want to talk about holy. This was really holy. And there would be this thick drape that would hang down, and he would go into the drape. And in that place, there was, like, there was, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was there. That was the, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what that was based on. The Ark of the Covenant is, like, uh, it would house the Ten Commandments. A, a jar of manna was in there that remind the Israelites, God provided, God is there for you. So the priest would go in there and burn frankincense, and burn the frankincense, and then he would, they, would, they would sacrifice an animal, like a goat, and, and spill the blood, uh, pour the blood out to, to cover the sins. Like they'd even sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Which the mercy seat was the, was the top or the, the cover for the Ark of the Covenant. And I know this seems weird, but I, I wrote down, and I said, you need to understand, something has to die before something can come to life. So the blood represents something innocent, the goat, covering the sin for someone, you and I, who are guilty. That was the process that was in place. That's how, that's what got, how, what got and it didn't just stop there. What many people don't know is uh, you've probably heard the term scapegoat. Well, that's a biblical term. So the priest wouldn't just stop at the killing of the goat and the, and the, 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 the blood being uh, poured out. There would be another goat involved. And the priest would put hands on this goat. And it would symbolize the, the, the sin of the people going from the people onto the scapegoat. Into the goat or whatever This poor goat needed counseling but what it don't matter so he's got his hands on the goat and then they release the goat into the wilderness and that was separate that that would symbolize sin being separated or, or, or going away from the people okay can we acknowledge something this is strange like like what I'm describing to you is, is is weird but but it was the process in place but but I want you to think about like today what if we had to do this stuff like Like maybe little Jimmy, your your little Jimmy got in trouble at school. And he cheated on a test. And then he lied about cheating on the test. And then you're like, Jimmy, you've done this before and you're mad at Jimmy. So you're like, now we got to go in the backyard. And now i got to do a sacrifice to cover the sins of Jimmy. So you take Jimmy in the backyard. Now Jimmy's friends are out in the backyard too. They're in their yards and they're playing kickball and they're playing tag. But Jimmy's not playing anything. In fact, you told Jimmy, you said, Jimmy, go grab the goat over there. Because why wouldn't you have a goat in your backyard, right? So, so, so Jimmy grabs the goat and he brings it over. And Jimmy's holding the goat and doesn't really understand what you're doing. And you pull out a knife and you cut the, cut the goat's throat. And blood put, gushes down and you, you take the goat and you're spraying the blood all over the backyard. And some of it hits Jimmy. I mean, it's, can, I mean, if that's going down, I know two things. Number one, Jimmy will never cheat on a test again. He is traumatized. Like, it's bad. Number two... You're getting new neighbors because yours are moving. I mean, it's that. But think about that. But, but the, the holiness of God and, and the, the damage of sin. I wrote it down this way. Because God is holy and just, he must punish sin. He must. Like, we, all, we, we talk about a merciful God, and he is. A loving God, and he is. But he is a God of wrath, and he is. Like, he is both. Like, he could have nothing to do with it. But this is such good news for you and I, what we're sharing today. You'll see why. So, he must punish sin, but he's also merciful. So, someone pays the price for God, and then he extends mercy to you and I. In other words, that goat, that goat paid a price. That goat lost his life for, for, for you and I, to, for that blood. And then, and then the Israelites, they were, they were, they're, they've been, you know, their sins have been covered, if you will. The problem is this. The day, the day after the Day of Atonement, they were still sinning. It, I know it's a shocker, but they, they sinned, and, and it just kept happening. It's like it was never a done deal. This leads me to the scripture that I want to share with you today. It's out of Hebrews. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament. It is a beautiful book. They're not sure of the author. It's the, maybe the only book in the Bible where they're not positive. They have good ideas, but not positive. But, but he or she wrote this through the inspiration of God, I'm going to to read you out of Hebrews 10 verse 1. It describes what I'm talking about, this system that seems so weird, this old system it says. The old system under the law of Moses, the one we just talked about, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. So what 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 we just heard, something better is coming. Something better than this whole goat thing and blood thing and weird deal. So the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide a perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Listen to me. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices, the goats, it would have stopped, it says. For the worshipers, they would have been purified once and for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, the sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year. That's not good. So, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take it away. Isn't that interesting? So, why, God, why would you put that in place if it's not doing it? Well, well God, God's plans are always perfect. So, but, but it wasn't eradicating the sin. It was covering the sin. Big difference. It, an illustration I could use is, when I was in college, many years ago, there was a kid in our, there was a guy in our dorm who, who for some reason, he just wouldn't shower. I mean, y'all's got the one guy, right? And I, we don't know why he just hated to shower, didn't want to shower. It could have been because we had communal showers. Like, kids today are so spoiled, they got their individual little, we didn't have that. They threw a bunch of guys in a shower together. It, I mean, talk about needing counseling. I mean, but you need to know that when that goes down, there are rules, okay? They're not written down in a book or on a piece of paper, but they're just, there's just a man code, okay? Like where you're in the, that type of environment, you look straight ahead at the wall. Nothing else. That's all you do. And if by chance you do find yourself, like, looking around, you never look below the shoulders. Ever! This is just, it's just unwritten, just, I don't know if that's what the, freak the guy, I don't know. But this guy wouldn't shower. What he would do to compensate would, would be putting on cologne. A lot of cologne. Like, bottles of cologne. Like, for some reason in his head, he thought the, the, the cologne w- would cover, uh, or, or almost take away, the other odor. It didn't. You know what it did? It created a brand new order. And that wasn't good either. It was a new repugnant odor that I can't even describe. But it, it didn't take it away. It's like that's like putting perfume on a pig. Okay? It's still a pig. I'm sorry, I don't care how much. It still stinks. So it this was a temporary system put in place, but it wouldn't, it it couldn't quite do what it needed to do. In Hebrews 10, 11 let me continue. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. And I'm here to tell you something about that. God hates that. Oh, God, God don't hate anything. Oh, no, there are things God hates. There, there are things, people that drive slow in the left lane, that's number one. But number, anyway, besides that, so there are things God hates. I'm not even going to get into it today because that's a whole other message. But you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see, you'll see six. No, you'll see seven things that God hates in the book of Proverbs. And every one of them, they're very specific, but every one, at the, every one of them at the end of the day is sin. See, God hates sin, hates it. He doesn't ha- now, he doesn't hate the sinner. He hates the sin. See, so many of you, many of you, you might have thought God was, was mad at you. You might have thought that God was angry with you or, or disappointed in you or disgusted with you. No, no, no. God loves you. But, 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 but let me say it this way. Sin, sin breaks his heart. Like sin breaks the father's heart. Why? Because it breaks you. Because it breaks his children. That's why he hates it. He hates it because he loves you. That's why he hates it. He's not mad at you. I mean, he's not disappointed in just you. Maybe what we're doing. Maybe our actions. Maybe our thoughts. Maybe our words. But he hasn't given up on you. He'll never do that. He's not done with you. He's not over you. That's actually, fortunately for you and fortunately for me, because of our sin, God... Put a plan in place. That's right. God put another plan in place. His name is Jesus. And that plan is way greater than your past. Way greater than your pain. Way greater than your problems. (laughs) Jesus is the answer. Jesus is always the answer. Let me continue in Hebrews verse 5. That is why Jesus... That is why when Christ came into the world, that is why when Christmas, right, when Christmas we describe it as, happened, and Jesus comes into the world as a human, he said to God, this is, this is Christ Jesus speaking, God, you didn't want an animal sacrifice or sin offerings. You have given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with the burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the scriptures. I am that one, Jesus said. Remember, remember verse 11? I'll give it to you again. Under the old covenant, the, the priest would minister day after day, time after time, offering the same sacrifices again and again that would never take the sins away. But our high priest... Jesus is the high priest. But our high priest offered himself to God. Our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice. Good for all time. No more temporary solutions. No more lamb sacrifices. No more burnt offerings. Why? Because we now have a high priest. And that high priest is way better than any other system that God ever created. It is better. He doesn't just cover the sin. He doesn't just cover the stain. The high priest washes it away. That's the big difference. The old system would cover, and it would still be underneath. The new system casts it as far as the east is from the west. This is the, some of the greatest news you'll ever hear. So the reality of the message called set apart is you've been set apart. Regardless of what you believe right now, regardless of where you've been or anything about you, your upbringing, you're set apart. But you fall into two set apart categories. One, you've been set apart from God. That's not a good category to be in. The other, you've been set apart for God. The first one, your sin has has, has separated you from God. You're set apart, separated from God that leaves you empty. That leaves you void. That leaves you um, in a place of angst. It just leaves you dead on the inside. Set apart for God, sin was still involved in that equation, but that sin's been washed away by a high priest named Jesus. That you've called on his name and you, you've asked him to be, be the, the middle man for you now. Not just a priest, but the priest. The high priest. Set apart from God, I told you it's empty. It's, it's lifeless. It is void. Set apart for God is a fullness. It's a holiness. It, it doesn't mean perfect, but, but you're striving to seek the one who is. People, people today will always talk about how we can be happy. How we can be satisfied. I'm telling you something. True happiness starts with holiness. It does. People, people want to say, oh, holy, that's just for the, a priest or Mother Teresa. I'm telling you, we are to be holy as God is holy. That's not a bad thing, that's a beautiful thing. It just means you're different. It means you've been set apart for God. For God. Happiness begins with holiness. Jesus himself said it in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Filled, not empty, but full. But here's the kicker. And some of you, this will hit you so hard because it hit me hard one day. It is impossible to, 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 to live a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. It's impossible. You cannot do it. It is a house of cards. It will fall. I liken it to this. It's like in my life and in my drug addiction when I was trying to seek God but was still living in the world. And I've shared this with you before that I had one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. That is a miserable place to be. It is miserable. Jesus would describe that life as lukewarm. Read about that in Revelation. You'll understand how it makes Jesus feel. You know what Jesus says? It's it's better to be cold. It's better to know that I'm not with Jesus, I'm against him. Jesus says that's better. But lukewarm, you're deceived. You think you're with Jesus, but you're not. You got one foot in the world, and you got one foot in Christ. In other words, you're too, you're too sinful to enjoy Christ, and you're too Christian to enjoy sin. Jesus says that's lukewarm. It is a miserable place to live. And some of you, you are there. You're you're in this place of. That's why God brought you here. I I love I love the Word of God. I love the hope that it gives. We. I talk to people a lot, like people that will come and need help and stuff like that, and I love it. But the number one thing that people will normally want to change, are their circumstances. Like I I just need to. My, my spouse needs to do this, or my kids need to do this, or the job, or the boss, or these circumstances need to change. And I think it's easy to ask God to change the circumstances around you, but what if God wants to change something in you? That's holiness. That's set apart. That's what I believe that this is all about. If there's one thing that you can control, it is You. And it's what God wants to do in you and through you. He wants you holy. Don't let it freak you out. He just wants you different. He wants you to be his. He wants you to be set apart for his beauty and his glory and his purpose for your life. That's all he wants. The word of God, let's, Hebrews 4, let's continue. Hebrews 4, 14. So then, since we have a great high priest. Who's our high priest? Yeah, you got it. Jesus is our high priest. We have a high priest who has entered heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. He keeps going. The high priest, this high priest of ours, understands us. He gets your mess. He gets your dysfunction. He understands your weakness, it says. For he's faced all the same testings we do, yet he didn't give in. Yet he did not sin. What is the word of God telling you? It's saying, you know what, regardless of what you're going through, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands. Even in your mess, even in your sin, Jesus gets it. If anybody gets it, it's him. He was ridiculed, he was, he was cursed about, he was beaten, he was lied about, gossip, slandered, betrayed, denied, all those things. Jesus gets the dysfunction in you. Jesus gets the dysfunction in your family. Right? Some of you, you got, you got anxiety about that, going for the holidays. And you got to go see that crazy person in your family. Jesus gets it. Right? Oh, come on. We've all got the one crazy person in our family. By show of hands, who knows who the crazy person is in your family? Okay. Keep your hands up. Now look around whose hands aren't up. They're the crazy person in their family. Okay? I'm just, that's them. So, All right, we got that. But Jesus gets the crazy. Jesus gets it. If you're scared, Jesus gets it. Broken. Are you mourning today? Are you hurting today? Dealing with a loss today? Jesus gets it. Everybody walked away from him. He mourned. Are you hurting? Are you confused? Are you depressed? Are you exhausted? Are you overwhelmed? Jesus gets it. You can come to him. Oh, I got one more scripture. I didn't even finish. I got so excited. Hebrews 4, 16. Listen to this. Oh, man. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. It's there. We will receive mercy. He has mercy waiting for you. Oh, you thought he had judgment. He does have judgment, but it doesn't have to be on you. Someone else took it for you. What he wants for you is mercy. And he will find grace to help us when we need it most. And some of you, you're desperate and dying for mercy and grace, for a reprieve, for help. Jesus says, I'm it. I'm the high priest. It doesn't get any bigger than me. No more priesthood. No more animal sacrifices. No more spilling of the blood. No more scapegoat. It's me. I'm the priesthood. I'm I'm your liaison. I got your back. You can go directly to the source. Growing up Catholic, I remember I was going to confession and having to confess to the priest. You don't have to do that. I mean, it's 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 not anti-biblical or unbiblical. It because you should c- confess to other people for healing, but to con- but you don't have to confess to other people for forgiveness. You can go directly to God for that. And they used to go through these priests, and the priests would take the frankincense. You know the story. And the prayers would go up to God and bring in the goat and bring in the other goat. And, and the next day, the people were miserable again because I'm still jacked up. And my sin and my stain and my, my mess is still there. And God's like, yeah, there's something great. There, there's a better covenant coming. There's a better plan coming. This plan was Temporary. The other one involves my son. It's way more personal to God. It, it, it's nuts. When in Ephesians, I didn't even—did I put that scripture in here? No, I didn't. I should have. Uh, Ephesians—I think it's Ephesians five. I don't remember now. But you just read the whole book of Ephesians; you'll find it. So in Ephesians, in Ephesians, it's crazy. It describes the, the the sacrifice of Jesus, like Him on the cross. It describes that as a as a a pleasing aroma to God. Now, his son is dying on a cross. Pleasing aroma. I've said this before. If you were at at the crucifixion of Jesus, the smell alone would have driven you back to the city. Guaranteed. The moment when God was most glorified, you and I would have been horrified. And the word of God describes it as a pleasing aroma. How would you say that, God, about your son? Because he knew, he, he, he knows that wasn't the end of the story. It, it crushed the father so much to see his son go through that. So much so that the father had to turn away because his son became sin. It was horrible in the moment. But God doesn't live in the moment. He doesn't live just in today. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And he saw the end game of what the sacrifice of Jesus would do. You want to talk about the Holy of Holies, that place, the inner temple? Uh, there were so many miracles that went down when Christ died. The biggest one is defeating sin and death, obviously. But, but when Jesus died on the cross, Matthew would describe an earthquake. Rocks splitting apart. The earth just, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I don't know what it registered on the Richter scale, but it was high. And a miracle in the temple happened. The Bible, I did write this one down, Matthew 27, 51. At the moment when Jesus died, the curtain in the sanctuary... I don't know if I put it up there for you, but I got it in my nose. I'm going to give it to you. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. So that where the, where the priest would go in, that, that thick drape, it was ripped in half. People didn't rip in half. God did. You know what God was saying? It's not necessary. You don't need, you don't need that anymore. You've got, my, you've got the high priest. Oh, he's hanging on a cross right now. But he's not going to stay there. See, I've got good news for you and for me on this Christmas Eve Eve. That, that Jesus, though the death was repugnant and horrible and disgusting in the moment, the reason why God would describe it as a pleasing aroma, because he loves you. Because he's going after you. That's what was pleasing about it. And what was pleasing also to the Father is that when the curtain or the veil ripped in half and the Holy of Holies was, was, was there for everyone to see and it didn't matter anymore, no more of this and no more of that and no more of this, But now it's Jesus, not just dead on a cross. Because the greatest miracle happened three days later. And you know what's coming. Three days later, a dead king brought himself back to life. That is what we're celebrating. Yeah, the birth of Jesus is big, but he don't stay a baby. He grows up to die on a cross and then to rise from the dead. And in that moment, you know what Jesus said to you and me? All the stuff you've done... You know, your lust and Monty, your lies and your anger and that abuse and the secrets and the mess that you're in. Jesus says, I'm the high priest. I'll take it. Put it on me. I've got it. And and instead, what I'm going to deposit on you everything I've done right. I'll take the blame for all that you've done wrong. And I will deposit and give you credit. For everything I've done right, I'm so grateful. People say, God isn't fair. That's not fair. Jesus, he's going to die and take all that on? That's not fair to him. He says, I'll do it. Love you so much. It's not a fair God. He's just a beautiful, good God. What he did for us, the veil is torn in two. So back to the camps. My question for us today, on this Christmas Eve Eve, what camp are you in? Don't don't let the devil lie to you. Just You're either set apart from God or set apart for God. Most of my life I was set apart from God, even though I believed in God, even though I believed in Jesus. The way I was living was not, was not godly. Regardless of what I believe up here, it was not here. I was set apart from God. My sin separated me from God just like yours separated you from God. But Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the game changer. It is the glue that brings God back to us. And Jesus, this middleman, this high priest, says, I got it. And all you have to do is receive it and say, I believe in the resurrection, the death. I believe in Christmas. I believe in Easter. I believe in what it truly means. And I don't just believe it. I, I want to live it. I want to change I want to, we call it repent, but it just means I want to th- be different. I want to think different. I don't want to do what I've been doing anymore. When you believe and you call on the name of Jesus and you repent of your sin and ask Jesus they hit you with that grace, hit you with that love, hit you with that mercy, he'll hit you. And you go from being separated from God to being separated for God. This is good news. We want everybody in that camp. And, and if you're in that camp or you're going in that camp today, as you surrender everything to Jesus, this is what it means. If you're in God's camp, well, you're to love like God loves. You're to live like God loves. You're to be holy as God is holy. You probably won't get it perfectly right. I don't either. But we, we seek the one who does. And what that means is you'll take invite cards this week because it's in you. And you'll you'll find a way to get it out. You'll find a way to share love. You'll find a way to invite because you're for God and that's what God wants. For his kingdom to grow. For people to come to know his grace. For people to hear the story. People are dying on the inside. Hopeless out in the world. And we've got the greatest news in the world. One that can set them free now and forever. Why in the world would we keep it to ourselves? I don't know. I don't want to offend them. I'd be more offended if they go to hell. I'm telling you. if If you're for God, let's go. Let's, 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 and I'm not just talking about declaring the love of Jesus. I'm talking about showing the love of Jesus. Yes, you should declare it. But God will give you opportunities. This isn't church. This is the huddle. Church begins when you leave here. You are the church. You're plan A. I'm plan A. There's no plan B. If we don't do it, I... This is why I get fired. I mean, I'm fired up every week, you know that. But this is this is the week when people are receptive. And God help us if we live it like it's some other week or any other week. Get, share on social media, invite, email, text, get whatever it takes. We want God's house full, not just to have a big church, because we want to grow a big kingdom. This isn't church. That is, it's when you leave here. All right, I'm going to close with a story, one that touched my heart. I'll share it with you because it's such a practical love story with God all over it in a, in a normal, everyday situation that you find yourself in, and so do I. It's us seeing God in the moments when no one else sees him. It's you and I, if we're for God, and if you're separated from God, you know your next step. Call on the name of Jesus. Mark the card so we know the green card so we can celebrate with you. That's your next step. And if you're four, got to love. This is our week. We should be loving all the time, but I'm telling you. Nicole was getting gas in Apple Valley, Minnesota. Maybe some of you have already saw the story. She noticed something unusual. So I'm just on my way to work, and I had to stop for gas allowed myself some extra time to get to work. When I pulled up to the pump, shut my car off, I saw a middle-aged man crying at the gas pump next to me. He looked to be crying anyway. I began to wonder, what happened? What's going on? I got out of my car, I looked at him, and my heart, in the moment, as I saw that he was crying, felt like it stopped. In Apple Valley, Minnesota, it's 10 degrees and freezing. Man, that sounds a lot like Nebraska. But anyway, you. I digress. In Apple Valley, Minnesota, it's 10 degrees and freezing. It's cold and there's wind. This man's wearing flip-flops, socks with holes in them. I look at his car. I see his wife in the front seat covering her face with her hands and two teenage girls in the back seat under a blanket. I didn't even think. I went up to the man and said, is there something that's wrong or something the matter? He looked at me. I could tell he was on the verge of giving up because he didn't even try to conceal the tears anymore. And he said, I can't even provide for my own family. And without thinking about it, I put, I put the card, my credit card in, in his gas pump. And I said, I love what she said. I told him, Jesus Christ, the son of God, died to provide for you. Fill up. Wow. We're either empty love those words fill up this one's on the high priest he's got it fill up with gas something came alive in him it's like he was in shock it's like he forgot how to pump gas in the same moment his wife gets out of the car she asks her husband what's going on and I told her hey I just took care. I just paid for your guys's gas she starts to cry she came around the corner to shake my hand, and I saw that she was wearing pants that were dirty and torn. I asked her, I said, come to my car. The airport lost some of my luggage on my way to Minnesota from California, and I had to clean my closet out just to find stuff to wear and get rid of a lot of stuff, all that stuff that I have yet to give away. It's just sitting right here in the back seat of my trunk. I opened up the car, and I said, just take what you want. She ran back to her car. I was afraid that I just embarrassed her. But I realized in the moment later, she grabbed her two teenage girls, and in seconds, they were digging through the clothes, layering up with sweatshirts and shirts and sweatpants and over the clothes, over the worn-out clothes that they had on that they were wearing. Soon, the father finished pumping his gas, and he came over. Now this, you can about imagine, all that's going down, (laughs) trunk open, clothes flying out. There's people, other people at the gas station. She said this attracted a crowd at the gas station. As they realized what was going on, an older man gave the family a gift card, and then some other middle-aged man gave away his jacket right off his back to the father. Never in my life did I think I would see this kind of thing happen at a gas station with a handful of complete strangers. I don't know any of these people, but it gives me hope that love of God That the love of God can be so contagious that we're not alone in being the change that we want to see in the world. That God's love is greater than anything we get to be a part of. And that love is changing lives. And He always provides. I just love the story because that could be any of our stories. All we have to do is have eyes that see And then have the courage of Christ, our high priest, to just do what most people won't do. Most people are just going to focus on their life and their gas and their pump and their card and their thing and their kids. That can't be us. can't be our church. We must focus on everybody else. That's what Christ did for me and you. I should be dead. My family should be long gone, moved on. But Christ, what has he done in your life? I bet some amazing things if you thought about it. I love being your pastor. I cannot wait until Christmas Eve. But I don't just celebrate on Christmas Eve or Easter. Every weekend is a celebration. Every day that we get to live and breathe and say, God, you're it. I'm nothing without you. Make me holy. Make me more like you. Make me different for my friends, my family, my kids, my spouse, and the person at the gas station dying on the inside. May we see him like Jesus sees him. If we do, the world will never be the same. Father, in the name of your son Jesus, blown away at a plan you put in place. How many times have we read about the wise men? I was gonna say three, but we don't know that. We do know there were three gifts, don't we, Father? So intentional. As a kid, I remember doing a Christmas play at Catholic grade school. I think I was the sheep. That was my acting talent. But it doesn't matter. I was in the play. And I remember us talking about the gold. And we would say Frankenstein, thinking we were funny, God. Maybe you chuckled. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. I knew the three gifts, though. Had no idea what they meant. None. The significance of the incense, frankincense, symbolizing a high priest. When we understand, oh God, when we understand your word and your truth, your it will come alive. Leviticus, it's referred to over a hundred times in the New Testament, Father. A book of law, but a book of love. A book that shows the just the tedious, painful process that sin causes. And then you send a high priest named Jesus. And you said enough of the old. In with the new. There's a better way. There's a, there's a bigger way. There's a Jesus way. We, we want that way. God, for anybody surrendering to the high priest today, they're going from to for. Holy Spirit, do your work in their hearts save them and set them free. I hope they say so we can pray with them and for them. For others who walked in the room and you know you've been saved, you know that you were dead in your sin and Jesus Christ bent down, took your hand and raised you out of a pit. Oh, that's what I know. That means that you've been set apart to live for him, like him. And God, that is not easy. And that is not comfortable. And we would have it no other way. This week, there will be people getting gas. Oh, maybe not literally, but you know what I'm saying. There will be people hurting, struggling. We may not even see it on the outside. Their clothes will look clean. They will look dressed up like they just came from church. But on the inside, there is death and there is decay. And we have an answer. God, help us if we keep it to ourselves. Give us the courage to love. Give us the courage to live like you. Give us the courage to be uncomfortable, to be... um, inconvenienced on your behalf, Father, we get one shot. And then this week in particular, when people are just, oh, they're looking, they need you. Help us be you. If we are God, then we can always say, the best is yet to come. And God, we believe it. The best is truly yet to come. In Jesus' name, we pray. And the church says, amen.